This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets were weathering storms from all angles. It's Southampton away. It's the Known and Never podcast. Hello and welcome to another jam-packed episode of the Known and Never podcast. We are back after the inaugural mid-winter break. Um, obviously, we're all off last week as the Clarets and your known and ever team all had a much-needed winter break. But this week, I am delighted to be joined to analyse the Southampton game with our good friends and panellists, Richard and Tom. Gentlemen, good evening. Good evening, Natalie. Good evening, Natalie. How are you doing? Yeah, we're grand. Did you both enjoy your week off? It was a bit weird, wasn't it, not having a game? Uh if it had been anything like Saturdays, I probably would have rather watched one. But uh, yeah, sometimes it's nice to do something else. Yeah. What about you, you uh, Richard? I would imagine that that probably coincided with a nice break from work as well, or is that timing slightly off? No, I'm actually off this week, so it's nicer to get um... a bit of time off this week. Um, but yeah, great win at the weekend, and you know, I, I always uh, don't like it when we've not got a game at the weekend. So uh, great to get back get back to winning ways and you know just can't wait for Saturday again now Mm, absolutely what a change it is isn't it at the moment I think we went through a period leading up to that home game against Villa where we were all getting a little bit oh when it came to games we had a horrible feeling you know when things weren't gelling and the team weren't playing that well and things were going against us it does make a difference you don't necessarily have that get up and go do you I mean obviously we'll always all be there but you don't quite have that same sparkle and spring in your step do you as as when you're on a winning run which quite frankly the Clarets at the moment are in sparkling form and since we all discussed around January well not all of us and I think Richard will very much uh, I think Richard was the only one actually who was like no we're gonna win them all um we were a little bit worried weren't we about where our points were coming from with this running of nine games and uh and we just seemed to be pulling them out of the bag so we've got loads to talk about this week we're going to start with that fantastic win um away at Southampton um against a side who've kind of been on form a lot recently they've, they've managed to pull themselves a little bit away from from trouble and they've been in one of the the sides recent in form uh, sorry one of the league's in form sides recently and um, we're going to look at obviously that um 
well, two very different goals, shall we say. Um, a few injury issues. We've got a few off the field things to talk about. Um, and we're also going to start looking at the launch of our Champions League campaign. So let's get straight into there. And Tom, we will start with you as ever. Um, I guess there's no way really to start other than right at the beginning of that game. The, the games at the weekend were all in danger of being suffocated by Storm Kiara. Uh, oh, actually, was it Kiara? No, it was Dennis, wasn't it? It was the second weekend. By Storm Dennis that, that hit the UK with some blustery weather. Um, I think it's fair to say at about two minutes into the game, the weather kind of helped us. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it was the weather or Danny Ings or the goalkeeper or a combination of all three. Um I didn't think actually, it didn't seem that the weather had as much of an impact on the game as I was expecting it to. I suppose I was picturing one of those games where keepers take goal kicks and the ball keeps rolling out away from their foot before they've even had a chance to take it. Um, so perhaps it wasn't quite as bad as I was anticipating. And I think we see Westwood try and do that with a lot of his corners anyway. Um, he'll, tr- he'll aim for the goal and try and get it as, as low under the crossbar as he can. Um, so it wasn't a massive surprise to me to see that the ball went that way. I think, as I say, probably the the, uh, the weather might have played a little bit of a part, but I think uh, Danny Ings was the person who did us the biggest favour. I don't know if he mis- misread it maybe because of the weather or if he just got his positioning slightly wrong, but what he was doing getting out of the way of that ball, I don't know. And then obviously you've got the keeper uh, inexplicably two yards behind his line as well. Um, obviously we would have scored anyway, even if he got the hands to it because it went straight back to Ben Me. But uh, yeah. A very bizarre goal. I mean, it's one of those goals where I sit back and think about how the Premier League likes to describe itself as the best league in the world. And you sit back and see something like that and and you do wonder sometimes. But uh, it was a big shock, but it was very enjoyable as well. Yeah, it really was. It's it's quite interesting, actually, because I would agree with you, Tom. I didn't think that the weather played a massive part in the game, certainly not as much as we were expecting to. But I must have read about four or five different media reports this week in in, in reaction to the game who all make the specific point that Southampton really struggled with the weather conditions, but actually Burnley got it spot on and really coped very well with them. Um, Richard, it was a dream start, wasn't it? And it's it's not very often that we get right on the the front foot but despite an absolutely fantastic start um we seemed to go into our shell a little bit after the goal and I think I'm not really sure whether they were took it by whether it took them by surprise or whether they just wanted to revert back to their game plan of just keeping things tight and getting to half time but the early goal seemed to spur Southampton on rather than us I thought yeah we didn't Obviously, when we got the early goal, 1-0 up, you think, you know, can we take the game on? And we didn't really. We did sit back. We got, got, in, got in our shape. But I would counter that and say, until Ing scored, I didn't feel like we was in much danger conceding. And, you know, we all know how good form he's in at the moment. And it really was a great finish. So, it was a difficult one. Because I wouldn't exactly say, you know, we was playing well. We was on the front foot. But I didn't really feel it in danger of conceding. And a bit of a wonder goal uh, stop, you know, Made, did did make us concede in the end, but I think Dice, you know, he said in his post match interview, he, rem, he reminded him of that at half time that the game gives you nothing. And then I thought second half we really kicked on well and took the game to Southampton and put in a really good performance second half and just up that intensity level slightly from what it was in the first half. Yeah, definitely, and I, I'm not entirely sure that um, it's unusual to see a Burnley side have 
one half that isn't quite up to speed and then another half that is. Um, it does happen to us on a regular basis and we've had this a few times this season, haven't we, where we've had to analyse maybe a weak start or a, a second half performance that hasn't quite been up to scratch. Um, but the, the most important thing is that they did manage to stay in the game. I'm I'm not entirely sure the defence could take an awful lot of, of blame for that goal. I think you're right, Richard. It was an absolute wonder strike by Danny. And the more times I look at it, I'm quite sure he's got that angle, to be honest. It's kind of frustrating that he, he managed to hit it so well because I actually thought that the defenders had put themselves in a really good position and had got themselves um, you know, in the right places to, right, to mark the right players. And, and he just seemed to find the only inch of space that he probably could do and put that in the, in the back of the net. Um, we had, and I'll, t- I'll bring this round to the to the second goal because obviously, as the title of the uh, podcast suggests, this is going to very much be a show that's dedicated to our little Matty Vidra. But um, Tom, I've heard reports. I got asked on Love Sport Radio last night actually this question. I had not heard this that Dyke had come out and said that that essentially they didn't do any team talk at half time. They just sat there playing Candy Crush, and apparently there'd been some real needling from the Southampton manager um, about Dyke. Some very unflattering remarks about us and the way we play in Dyke's tactics before the game in, in the Southampton programme. And again, he was at it after the game as well, talking about how. Um, it's just, um, you know, we got bullied by Burnley. It's that word we hear every flipping week. And also saying that, you know, we knew they were going to only play a direct style of football and their goal was a direct ball from defence into the strikers and we didn't cope with it. I'm sorry, but I'm there's nothing like to dismiss that that pass from Hendrick from Vidra was absolutely superb. And I'm I'm just frustrated that, more isn't being made of that because if that had have been a big six side, if that had been Aguero passing or just to pluck a name out of thin air or something like that, the Sky Sports would have been purring over it all weekend and talking about what an incredible pass it would be. But it just seems to have been overlooked and and, and suggested it's just a direct route one pass. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You saw uh, Liverpool's winner against Norwich was uh, a big long ball from from Van Dijk exactly the same way the striker takes it down well and finishes it well but when Liverpool do it, it's a long pass when we do it it's hoofball um, and yeah I think you're right I think um, I think there's been a bit made of it in the media I've seen it I think Sky do some Gillette precision goal of the week or something and I saw Vidra won that they did a bit of an analysis on the ball and the, the turn and all that kind of thing so I think we've got some credit from outside um, Southampton as you say, the manager wasn't very flattering. What always makes me laugh about comments like that is, is you know, they always say, oh, we knew how they're going to play, the direct, this, that and the other. You think, well, did you not do any preparation for that? Have you not thought of a plan that's going to combat that? Because I think that's the third or fourth time, third time I think we've come up against Hassan Hill. We've won twice and we've drawn once. Um, I think Southampton haven't beat us in seven attempts now. Um, you know, if we're so one-dimensional, if we're so predictable, if we're so primitive, then you'd have thought a team, you know, with the uh, the apparent qualities that Southampton have got, according to their programme, they they zip it around brilliantly. They go from back to front. They pass it fantastically well. You'd think if they had those strengths, they might have beat us on one of those occasions. Um, so I think perhaps uh, Hassan Hill is trying to deflect a little bit of the the criticism away from himself. There, I think he's doing his best to, uh, and I saw a lot of their fans doing the same thing on Twitter, trying to 
perhaps make themselves feel a little bit better about the fact that they uh, they can't get anything off us. Yeah, I know. And I'm going to wind poor Richard up now all the time because he does shake his head at me and just says, Natalie, stop reading the press. Stop getting yourself wound up about it. But it is. It's every single week. It, it's like the fans again, as soon as we beat them, we get the whole Brexit football and anti-football and I'd rather get relegate, relegated than watch that rubbish every week. I just think, no, you wouldn't. You know, you, you, you keep, Tom, you're absolutely right. We keep seeing these fans and these players who talk about um, how, you know, that they're, they're playing brilliant football and they had all the possession and they had all the chances and we absolutely, you know, we, we've run you off the park and, and you didn't deserve to win that game. And you just think, number one, learn how to beat us and number two, at some point, you know, if you are still in 17th, 18th place, you're going to be calling for the likes of Allardyce to, to come and get you out of it. Who play that exact type of football, the defence football and the, you know, tightening up at the back and making sure that before anything else, you don't concede those goals. And, oh, it winds me right up. Um, But Richard, I know I was going to come to you next. <laughs> you're going to shake your head at me. But let's not concentrate on that. And let's not concentrate on the, the shade thrown at poor Hendrick for that goal. On a scale of one to ten, just how absolutely delighted were you for Matty Vidrick? Oh yeah, ten out of ten. It was fantastic. Uh, I've got to hold my hands up. I was really close uh, to sending a tweet out saying, "What's Vidra doing? He's done nothing." I can see why Daesh hasn't been picking him. I think a lot of people were thinking that, um, and then it just seemed to give him so much confidence. It just literally come out of the blue. I didn't celebrate for a couple of seconds because I was almost astonished that. What had just happened? It was just a fantastic, great chest control. You know the awareness to take that touch away from Walker Peters, and then just you know a fantastic finish. It just shows that, you know, for me, I'm not gonna. I don't want to sound too pessimistic. I'm not gonna get over carried away and say Vidra's the be all and end all, and he's the saviour and and everything like that. I still think our best front two at the moment, if fit, you know, is Wooden Rodriguez, but. He's certainly proved that going forward this season and into next season, it can be a valuable member of the squad. And, you know, to see his celebration afterwards, it did, uh, you know, it showed how much it means to him. Then all the players, you know, they could you could genuinely see that they was, uh, you know, happy for him. I think, you know, he's, he's a player that he, he, he comes alive around the box. He's got, you know, he's technically very good. He's obviously a, a good finisher. It's just about us getting in, enough quality ball into him and, you know, I've been a critic of Hendrick on here, but I think the last few games he's definitely picked up his performance and it was a fantastic pass, great vision, great run from Vidra um, and like like you said, just a great bit of skill and a finish. So, um, yeah, hopefully he'll he'll get a decent run of games. Now he definitely deserves to start against Bournemouth, especially if Wood is out. Um, you know, and I think hopefully a game where we're going to be on the front foot, getting the balls into the box, creating chances, hopefully he can, he can get a goal and carry on that good form. Yeah, definitely. and And, He's gonna. He's probably gonna end up having a little bit of run in the, in the squad anyway, with both Wood and Barnes being on the injury table at the moment. There is no word yet from Chris Wood um, as to the extent of that injury. We just know that he was brought off quite early on um, as a precaution. Um, it looks like he's done his hamstring, but not fully done it. It looks like he just he pulled up a little bit and they took him off. They think they've got him off early enough that he's not going to be sidelined for too long. Um, but Tom, Richard's quite right. I, I agree. I think our best front two at the moment is Chris Wood and Jay Rodriguez. And I'm, I've been genuinely loving how that partnership has been flourishing. But let's assume that Wood is going to be out for, say, three weeks, for example. What 
what do you think we need to do as a side to adapt our play facing a front two of Vidra and Rodriguez? Or do we need to? Do we need to put five in midfield and just have Jay up front on his own? What, how, how are we going to handle not having Wood or Barnes in the squad for a few games? Uh, I think what you get when you've got Vidra and Rodriguez up front is you, there's a bit more uh, running into the channels. There's a little bit more pace and flexibility up front. So on some, uh, on Saturday in the second half, when it was Vidra and Rodriguez up front, it's not as if we're pinging long balls for Vidra to win, you know, on the head. Maybe if we're pressed, you know, if, if we're clearing our lines, we, we were doing. But, some, you know, the goal we scored was was a long pass, but it was a, a ball into his chest. It wasn't one for him to, to go up in the air with the centre half. Um, and you saw quite a few occasions in the second half where we were getting around them, we were getting in behind them. There was that point where Taylor had that pullback uh, where Hendrick didn't gamble at the far post. Um, things like that. We're capable of of playing different styles if we need to. I think when you've got Wood and Barnes playing, obviously it makes sense to to play the ball up in the air to them because they're good in the air. It's not something that a lot of Premier League teams are necessarily equipped to play against. But um, I don't think it's going to be a case of if we if we start with Vidra and Rodriguez next week, we're going to spend ninety minutes thumping balls at Vidra's head and he's not going to win a single one of them. I think Rodriguez is capable of, of doing that job if he needs to. But especially, um, you know, the next game we're at home to Bournemouth, um, you'd expect us to be on the front foot a little bit more. You'd expect us to see a little bit more of the ball than we did on Saturday. I think we're more than capable of playing through the lines a little bit. I think um, Vidra will run the channels. Rodriguez will run the channels. They'll help the, the wingers out a little bit. Um, they'll come a bit deeper, especially than Wood does. Um so we'll we'll have some options there. I'm I'm not worried about us mixing up our style, um, and I'm not worried about Vidra. Um, if we have to play him for two or three games, I don't think we're going to have to change the formation or anything like that. I think he's well aware. He's got the Euros on the horizon in the summer. Mm. I think he's on a bit of a knife as, as to whether or not he's going to get in the squad. So I think we saw on on Saturday that he really wanted that chance. Um, all the lads are happy for him to have that chance, and I think that we could we could be confident that he would be doing his very best to take it. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've got to say it's been a long time since I've had that level of just happiness for a player scoring a goal. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm always delighted whenever Burnley score a goal. That goes without saying. But we know how long Vidra's had to wait. We know how patient he's had to be. We've known he's had crosswords with Deitch every now and again. You know, he's... He's made decisions to come out in the press at home and criticise Dash's decisions. You know, Dash has come out and told him he needs to smile more and Dash has had digs at him in the press when there's been shouts from the terraces for Vidra to come on and he's been saying, oh, you know, you'd think he'd scored 20 goals last season. So there's obviously been a few, I'm not going to say problems between them because I, I don't think it's that, but there's obviously been some prickly conflict between them about and it's born purely out of of desire to play and his little face at the weekend when he scored and when he was doing his post-match interviews as well just the smile on his face was an unbelievable joy to see and I think my entire social media feeds were just full of Burnley fans absolutely delighted for him and I'm really really pleased um I don't want Chris Wood to be out particularly long, obviously, but there is a little part of me, especially now we've got the points on the board that we have and we've got 
a little bit of luxury of, of taking a little bit of a deep breath this season. I, I agree with you, Tom. I think for Vidra to be able to get a bit of a run out and, and push for the Euro squad as well would just be absolutely fantastic. Um, Richard, I just want to pick up on a quick point while you were... I, I wanted to stick on Vidra on that point, so I didn't want to touch it just then, but I want to go back to a point that you made during your reaction a couple of minutes ago about Jeff Hendrick. Um, I know, like you say, not just you, I've been critical as well. There's been, there seems to be no happy medium with poor Jeff Hendrick. He either seems to be terrible or doing really well, the poor guy. And a lot of it is, is down to where he's being asked to play this week. But but Richard, I completely agree. I think over the last few games, he really seems to have, have come into his own. He's, he's putting some performances in well. Um, so with that in mind, we are hearing reports that he's not yet signing his new contract that's been put in front of him. Um, does that concern you at all? It, let, let's ignore the squad numbers, but him as being a crucial part of this team at the moment. Are you in camp get him to sign as quickly as possible or are you not particularly fussed if he doesn't I think you've got to look at the bigger picture you can't just um, what I would say if we lose Hendrick how much is it going to cost us to replace him yeah he's been playing well the last few games but can we get somebody better than him on the right hand side 100% I think I think we can do but I would like to, him to sign a new contract because he's a good utility player he can play out wide he can play in midfield um, you know, he works hard with, of the team. He's a good professional. He's got a good attitude. But I think I said this in a previous podcast. If we can repeat what we've got down that left-hand side with Taylor and McNeil, on the right-hand side where I still think we need a winger and a, and a full-back, then I think we'll, you know, we're doing well at the moment. I think we'll be an even better and an even more consistent side. So I would like him to sign a new contract for a couple of reasons that we still need a squad. It'll cost us a lot of money just to replace him. And I would like us to sign an 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 additional winger and to keep Hendrick, but at the same time, if if he's asking for ridiculous amounts of uh, money a week, high wages, obviously we don't know that we're just speculating. Then I don't think he's in a position where he can do that. I would look at it on another way and go: if he leaves us, he's not going to get a better team than us. Absolutely no chance. I could only see him either going to a very good championship side or somebody who's just come up, who's maybe not got a massive budget. So to kind of summarise my point, yes, I would like to keep him, but as a squad player, but I still think we need the right wing positioning, upgrading uh, going into next season. Yeah, I would agree with that, to be honest. I'd really like to see him signed. I don't have anything to add on top of that, Richard. I think that that kind of covers it. Um I want to stick with the game, but I want to move into just having a quick moment of appreciation once again for our defenders, uh, Nick Pope, well, the, the back five, essentially. Um, and Richard, sticking with you on this point. <laughs> Obviously, we had to, um, Lawton had got himself a knock, so we had Barsley back in the side. But I thought all five of them were absolutely phenomenal at the weekend. To the, to the point where... Um, there are calls for Nick Pope to actually be... I've been asked this question a lot this week by various media outlets. Nick Pope should be displacing Jordan Pickford as England's number one, so we'll debate that in a moment as well. Question marks as to why on earth the likes of Tyrell Mings are in the England side and Tarkovsky can't get anywhere near it. And why, even though he's he is apparently one of the most informed centre-halves in the entire Premier League, why people don't even mention Ben Mee at all. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, and obviously last 
last podcast as well, we talked about the potential for Charlie Taylor. Um, but Richard, once again, after a sticky start at the beginning of the season where they were a bit out of sorts, I thought the defence were absolutely phenomenal at the weekend. Yeah, two goals conceded in four games. I just checked then on the stats. I think we've only let four shots on target in the last two games. And, you know, when the defence is like this, you wonder why there's been games where we've conceded three, three and four and we've looked so sloppy. Um, you know, Tarky for me, when he's playing like this at the moment, he's definitely better than Mings. And he, for me, he deserves... I think we've got an international game coming up. I think he deserves a goal because I think he's playing as well as any English centre-half at the moment. Um, I'm going to go back to Taylor. I think he definitely should be in the England reckoning. You know, he's getting better all the time. He's getting better defensively. He's a threat going forward. You know, twice we nearly scored from from him getting down the left and probably should have at least scored one. Um, You know, I know he mentioned me in the England reckoning there. You know, the amount of times that I hear Burnley fans criticise Ben Mee and slagging him off, I think it's completely... Just ridiculous and out of order. The guy's been here, you know, is it 10 years now? Maybe maybe less, but around that. Just great, great leader, great professional. Um, he's just everything that epitomises Dyche's Burnley. And yeah, he might have the odd bad game, but they all, you know, but the, you know, they're still human beings at the end of the day, at the end of the day. But time and time again, he always comes back and puts in good performances. One one thing I will mention, and I am a Bardsley fan, I thought he struggled a little bit against Bufal. He was backing off him, letting Bufal come into the penalty area. And I think as soon as he went off injured and they brought Gineppo on, who was really poor, it seemed to help Bardsley and we looked a lot more secure then. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a good point. And then, you know, with Pope again, just as an out-and-out goalkeeper, I've not seen enough of Dean Henderson. I know he's very highly rated and a very good young goalkeeper. I just think out of the goalkeepers that have been mentioned, Pope is out-and-out probably the most consistent and the one who makes the the least glaringly obvious mistakes. I think only the goal against Chelsea, where he let it through his arms, was the worst mistake I've probably seen for Burnley. The reason he won't play for England is just because of his kicking and his distribution. And international football is a completely different game. And you know we can have that debate about Pickford for a long time, but he's never really let England down, and I don't think Southgate's going to drop him. Um, but for me, I think the two who sh- Tarkovsky should be in the squad. And I think Taylor's very, very close to being in that reckoning for it now. Where with Ben Mee, again, will his distribution just let him down and that maybe that little bit of lack of pace yeah. to step up to that next level? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Richard. And, and, and Tom, I guess, picking up on your views on the, the Nick Pope situation, it, the, the key word that we keep hearing during this, this England keeper debate is the distribution point. And Southgate has shown that he is unwilling to move away from that style of play of playing out from the back and kicking it about the, the, the back five. Um, he wants He wants that distribution style of play. And Burnley don't necessarily play that level and he hasn't seen that from Pope. Whether or not Pope can play like that, um, if called upon, is not really the question. It's whether or not he's got the time to be able to adapt his play as naturally as that in time for the Euros. But it's Richard's right. Pope is a better keeper. And should it just come down to the distribution point, why Pickford should just keep hold of that, that jersey and... and I don't know. There's a lot of calls for Pickford to be dropped. Yeah, it's something that seems to be gathering a bit of uh, bit of momentum, doesn't it? You have to remember as well the last England game. I think was the qualifier against Kosovo, and he did start Pope in that game. Obviously, it was a dead rubber. We qualified anyway, 
So maybe he's a little bit closer to his thoughts than uh, than we're thinking. I think it's going to be something that he's going to Southgate is going to be really scrutinised for because I think ultimately I do think he will start with Pickford in the Euros, and I think you could perhaps argue that in the group games we're playing the smaller teams. It's more important that he's there for the style of play and and to keep possession and that sort of thing. I think. What worries me is that when we get further in the tournament, we start playing some of the big boys um, and we, we need to do a bit more defending. You, you know, he's, he's far more prone to a clangor than, than either Pope or Henderson, as uh, as Richard was saying. I can only remember that one against Chelsea for Pope and Henderson had that one. He let it through his legs against Liverpool. But other than that, I've not really seen anything from him um, mistake-wise. So, yeah, you'd, you'd have to be worried about that once we get to, you know, the highest level. Um and it's probably um, something that Southgate will have to be very careful with because I think he will get a lot of criticism if he sticks with Pickford and he does make a mistake. Having said that, I have said on here before, I don't think Pickford has let England down when he's played for England. Uh, And if Southgate's looking at it like that and basing it purely on his international form rather than his club form, you can see why he would stick with him, in my opinion. And I think that is what will end up happening. But I've got a niggling worry that it's going to end up costing us. And I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, and no, I have that same fear. Do you not think, though, I know this never happens and I know what your answer is going to be, but can there ever be a justification for swapping your keepers in and out depending on what style of team you're playing? So where we are, you know, facing a side that are going to hit us with the attack and we don't have the luxury of being able to play out from the back, put Pope in to be a better shot stopper? Or is that just too risky a strategy in a knockout tournament to mess with your keeper? Like you say, it's not something that you see very often. And I think there must be a reason for that. I know they talk a lot about how it's important for continuity with the the goalie in the back four, having confidence in the keeper. Maybe we'll see a bit more in the friendlies leading up if he's a bit more willing to chop and change them. Maybe that'll indicate that he is thinking about going down that route. But I think it's something that managers do very rarely and I think there's probably a good reason that they don't do it that often um so I think it would be very brave of Southgate to do that it might be a good solution but I don't expect to see it no neither do I um final word from you then Richard on the game before we move forward um the only other talking point really from the game was um which seems to have annoyed Southampton fans particularly is the penalty shout against Ben Mee um referee didn't give it VAR decided that it wasn't a clear and obvious error enough to overrule his decision um I genuinely don't know what we're doing with with penalties anymore um I don't want to see it given but I've seen lesser handballs given as penalties this season and lesser handballs overruled by VAR um so we don't need to go into the the endless debate that we've got about VAR and inconsistencies and unfairness in this league I guess just a very quick summary from you do you think that that was a handball do you think we got away with one there no I was when I seen it live I was a little bit worried because um you know he did look like he moved his arm to the ball when I've watched the replay back again his arms are by his side the balls come from very you know the the attackers crossed the ball from pretty close to me he's crossed it at some speed like I said before his arms are not in an unnatural position. So, yeah, I think the correct decision was made. And it's one of them. And I suppose opposition fans, we've done it before, where you just 
you know you've not played well and you look at blaming other things, a referee, VAR, whatever. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, not a penalty for me. I've got to say, like, they don't often get credit. I can't really remember the referee making that many bad decisions. I thought he had a pretty good game, to be honest with you. And I thought, yeah, the, I and I thought the process of VAR was, was quick for that penalty. You know, they wasn't looking at it for ages. A few times, no, it's not handball, get on with game. So I think that's yeah. the way VAR should be used. Agreed. Completely agree. Good points. Uh, before we move on then, Richard, I'm going to ask you for your man of the match. I think it was one of those team performances where no one really mm. stood, stood out. Um, I'm going to give it to me. I know Vidra scored the goal. That's 100% the moment of the game and one of the best moments of this season. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go for Ben Me. I thought he was brilliant throughout. Um, yeah, his distribution was good. So yeah, Ben Me. Excellent. Yeah, good choice. Tom, who was your man of the match? Yeah, hard to look past Tarkovsky or me for me. I thought they were both excellent again. You have to pick one then. <laughs> Not men of the match, I'll Tom. One. Well, I'll say Tarkovsky then. I'll mix it up. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm getting some right politicians on the our podcast these days. You're sitting on the fence. Um, okay, well, I'm I'm going to do it. I'm going to vote with my heart and I'm going to give it to Mate just for the moment of the game. As, as Given that you guys have, have given the right men of the matches to either Tarkovsky or Ben Mee, um, and given that we are dedicating the show to the delight that is Mate Vidya, I am going to give it to him just for his sensational goal that gave us all three points and propelled Burnley Football Club temporarily into 10th in the league. We now finish the weekend in 11th. We are on 34 points um, with 26 games played. We are sitting 11th in the league and we are 10 points clear of the drop zone. Um, Now, we've talked quite a lot on this podcast about us needing, I still think this season you're going to need north of 40 points to survive this season. I think you might even need 41. So two more wins and that should be us done. And we're only in February. So I'll certainly look forward um, to us being able to relax a little bit in the second half of the season. But that second half of the season has taken quite an interesting turn. And we are, of course, talking about... The sensational news this week that Manchester City have been found guilty of inappropriate um, uh, financial fair play rule dealings and some some dodgy goings on there with their transfer dealings. And they have been banned from European football for two seasons, which I'm not I'm not going to. I knew there was rumours in the press and I knew that there was something coming, but my jaw legitimately hit the floor when I read that news. I thought it was incredible. Um and now because of that, and assuming that Manchester City don't completely throw their toys out of the pram and just don't bother showing up for the rest of the season, assuming that Manchester City finish in the top four, um, fifth place this season will get a Champions League spot. Um, Richard, do you fancy Burnley going for the Champions League spot? And this may sound like a ridiculous question, but on Sky Sports over the weekend, they had the, the banners all across the studio with the race for the Champions League, race for fifth, and Burnley were in there. How ridiculous is that? Wasn't, wasn't it me amazing? Um, you know, getting to the Europa League was one thing, but um, getting in the Champions League would be something else. I think it's a, that's a, even for the most optimistic of Burnley fans, and you know I'm pretty optimistic myself. I think it's a little bit out of our reach. Uh, but the Europa League is well in our reach. If it, you know, I, I can see this one going in the courts for a long time with City and appealing it. So even if it does stand, will it stand this season? Will it apply for next season? But let's just go on the basis that eighth will get in the Europa League this season. You know, we've we've got a real good chance. I know we went down to eleventh after the weekend's results, but we've got some good fixtures coming up, some good home games. You know, we're we're playing well away from home. 
so yeah, why you know why can't we get back in that Europa League? I'm getting married at the start of August, and I've said to my fiance, if we get into Europe, I would delay in the wedding. Last <laughs> last time, <laughs> last time we on, I I only went to Aberdeen. I didn't go to Olympiacos or to um, or to Istanbul, and I regretted it. So wherever we go abroad this season, especially on a plane, I'm going. So I've told her that. Um, but yeah. But yeah, crossed. I completely agree. I think out of out of knowing ever, I think we all most of us went to the the Aberdeen game. But I was the same as you. It, it was quite difficult because it's right in the holiday season is August, and not knowing where you're going to get drawn. And then we were quite unlucky in that we had the away tie was always first, so we'd find out the week before where we were going. And just trying to get time off work for me was impossible. My all of the people I was working with were already off, and so I didn't go to Olympiakos or to uh, to Turkey either. But obviously Tom went because he was our postcard from segment at the beginning of last season, which is obviously what introduced our listeners to to Tom. So you'll have to hold our hands and take us on a European tour. Um, Tom, I think, obviously, we do say this with a bit of a tongue-in-cheek, I think, even to get to fifth and have to beat the likes, to get finish higher than the likes of Sheffield United, Manchester United, Wolves, Everton, Arsenal, is a bit of a pipe dream. But suddenly, like you say, with Europa League going to eighth, I mean, Burnley and Arsenal in 10th and 11th are on 34 points, and Everton and Wolves are only on 36 points, who are taking up kind of joint 8th place. There's only one goal between them. Um, and we're only four points behind United in 7th. I mean, we genuinely have something to play for now, the second half of the season, and not just getting to 40 points and taking our feet off the pedal. Yeah, if you'd said this after the Villa game, someone would have looked at you like you had two heads on there. It's... Uh... It's took a really good run of form to propel us into the position that we're in now. But the way the league is, you only need to put a few results together and you can really fly up the table, um, as we've seen. And I, I do think as well, our running is, is quite fine. Like, I think we've already played, I think, five of the top eight. Um, maybe, I think maybe well, nine, if you include Wolves. I think we need to play Wolves and Spurs at home. Man City and Liverpool away, obviously, they're pretty much right off spot. Other than that, our fixtures don't really look very difficult. Uh, they all look like we could get something out of them. I think a lot of it is going to depend on the mindset of the manager and the club. Um, obviously, the, there was a, two schools of thought last time we were in Europe as to whether or not it was a good thing. Obviously, from a fan's perspective, I think most fans really enjoyed it. Uh, as I said, I went to Istanbul and, and Athens and I had a fantastic time. Uh, it's you know something that I never thought I'd ever get a chance to do um, watching Burnley. And I would absolutely love us to be able to do it again. But it, I think it certainly had a detrimental effect on us the first half of the season. And I do wonder if, if we if we keep the good form going in the next couple of weeks. I mean, I, I fancy us to win on Saturday against Bournemouth. Then we're on 37 points. Then we're pretty much all but safe at that point if we do win in a couple more. I wonder if then the the manager will will be more thinking about taking the foot off the gas a little bit and preparing for the summer. And I wonder how desperate the club is to get into Europe. I don't know if it's the same kind of desire the fans have got for it. So if we keep, if we carry on the form that we, we've got, we've got a kind running, we've got every chance of, of getting in the top eight, but it's whether we've got the appetite for it, I think, more than anything. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It does worry me a little bit, and I think it doesn't feel like the club's ready yet. Um, 
that said, would we have learnt? Would we have more experience from the first time? Do you think that? Do you think that's a fair, not necessarily criticism, Richard, but do you think that's a fair concern? Do you genuinely think that Darch will not relish another European campaign, or do you think he'd think, no, actually, we've done it once, we know what we're doing this time, we can go for it this time? I'd like to think that Daesh and the club learnt from the mistakes. I think we chopped and changed the team too much. And I think what that ended up doing was destabilising the start to the Premier League season with all that chop and change. You know, I think... Mm. That, um, so, I, I think from my point, personal point of view, I look back and I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I should have done or I didn't take it in. Even my focus was on the Premier League too much. And that's something, you know, from my point of view, if, if we are ever fortunate to get back in there again, I would enjoy it more. The only thing, what I would like, not not just Daesh, I think, again, we're getting into my one of my biggest criticisms when, when we come seventh was that was a really good chance when Burnley was, what's the, what's the right word, where Burnley was um, like attractive for players to come to. You know, we're in oh, the, yeah, in the transfer window. Yeah, in, yeah the, in, right. in the transfer window. And I think we really missed, um, you know, Mr. Tritt there to you know to get more players in. So even if we don't come yeah. in here this season, you know I really hope we you know we bat dice. Burnley's in a good position. Um, I would find it very very difficult from a fans' point of view when you're looking for the club to progress and be as good as they are. Where they if if they wouldn't want to get into Europe, that would really really grate on me. But would it surprise me? No. Um, mm, I think if we yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I I would just love you know it'd be fantastic if we. I was just so gutted we never got to the group stage. That'd be absolutely fantastic. I think, you know, when Wolves have shown it, you know, don't get me wrong, they had a bit of a bad start to the season, but they played the strongest team in Europe. They got through. And then by the time, you know, by the time you get through to the group stages, the, the games don't come as regularly. And by the time no, the group stage finishes, you have a break from like November till February anyway. So, um, yeah, you're right. yeah I, I think my two points are, I'd, you know, me personally, I'd love us to get back into Europe. And I think we should attack it. We should go for it. And it gives us an opportunity, again, to make the club attractive for players to want to come to Burnley. Players want to play in Europe. They want to play at the highest level that they can do. Yeah, exactly. And it's and I also think it would be a nice reward as well. One of the mistakes I'd like to see Deitch learn from from the first time is the players that got him to Europe didn't always get to play in those early stages. He did start to try and swap the teams around and play some of the fringe players. And it's like I'd quite like to see the likes of Tarki and Ben Mee, Nick Pope, really getting a go at Europe and being able to to show that they've played in the Europa League. I think that's certainly something that I would um, encourage anyway. Um, Richard, sorry, did you want to just come in on the final point on this? Yeah, just, just a final point about, I know we mentioned Europe. In it, you know, Now we've got ourselves in this position and you look back at that Norwich game, in it, it a shame that we're still not in the FA Cup where we, where we could have really had oh, a good go at it. Yes. I, I was talking yeah. to this with my friend today and what a real shame it is. That imagine the excitement we'd have now if, if, we're, if we're in that last 16 tie away at Tottenham. Yeah. I know it'd be a tough game, but you know, getting back to Turf Moor for a replay, a chance to get into the quarterfinals, yeah. it's something that now we've got ourselves in this position. I'm more upset that we lost that Norwich game now than what it was at the actual time of it. Same. Yeah, same. Listeners will be so bored of me talking about FA Cup runs because every single season I'm like, I want to go on an FA Cup run. I want to get to the FA Cup final. I want to win the FA Cup. And those seasons where I kept drawing City away was just like, oh, come on, are you having a laugh? Um, But yeah, no, Richard, I completely agree. Especially now that we are 
in the position that we are. And actually, I thought we were relatively comfortable by the time we played Norwich as well. It just, it was just one game a bit too far. They just, the, the lads looked tired and they looked like they were just didn't quite have it in them. They just played a couple of really tough games, but and and. And I think Norwich played better than we thought they were going to do. I don't think any of us thought Norwich were going to concentrate on the cup. So maybe we underestimated, well, not maybe, we definitely underestimated how they would play as well. But I'm genuinely gutted as well. Um, So with that in mind, um, upcoming fixtures. We've got Bournemouth and Newcastle to close out February. Um. Tom, out of those games, how many points do you think we'll get? Do, do you think we can win two out of two there? Are we looking at maybe a Bournemouth win and a point at Newcastle? What are we looking at there? Yeah, if I was looking at those both as a neutral, I would say I think we usually beat Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's anything riding on it, we usually beat them pretty comprehensively as well. I think they're similar to Southampton in that they, uh, they whinge about the way we play and they... Um, tell us we're very predictable and yet they can't set themselves up to beat us at all so I'll be surprised if we don't run on Saturday I think Newcastle game which probably again if I was looking at it as a neutral I'd say it's got nil nil written all over it um, and the, the game at the turf <laughs> is quite similar I think we just need to go from a corner and other than that nothing happened um, but I'll take a point from that so if it's a similar game and it's a nil nil I'll, I'll be happy with that would be a good point Excellent so that then puts us on 38 points um, Richard, we then start March, like you say, with a home tie against Spurs and an away trip to Manchester City. Albeit, these are now potentially not looking as difficult games as they were. Um, we found out today that Sun is now going to be out for the rest of the season. So, uh, good old Jose has been whinging today about he has absolutely no attacking threat throughout the entire club, whether that be on the bench or on the pitch. So, um, given the, the five goals that they put past us, down at Christmas time, um, down at Spurs, I'm, I'm quite happy to hear that. So you never know, at home, we might be able to, to get a point out of that. And quite frankly, Manchester City, I imagine, won't want to be really asked to play for the rest of the season with everything that's going on. And interestingly, um, the week that we play City away is the same week. On the, on the midweek after that, they have their Champions League game. And I would imagine that the Champions League is probably the only competition they're going to be particularly asked about playing in this season um so you never know they may not be as difficult as they first thought but Richard after that um as Tom said before our fixtures look good we've got Watford at home Palace away Chef United at home West Ham away Liverpool away let's just write that one off and then the last three Wolves at home Norwich away and Brighton at home now, I'm looking at those fixtures and I genuinely think we can get to 50 points this season. Is that ambitious? We need, Yeah, no, definitely not. We need another 16 points from where we are now to get to 50. Um, I know, I, I agree with Tom going back to the Newcastle game. You know, I wouldn't mind a point, but they've been playing poor recently and the only points they've got recently were against Chelsea and Everton. I don't know how they got four points out of those games. Um so I, I don't see why we can't get six points from these next two games. Tottenham at home, yeah, it will be tough. But you look at the two players who were, uh, you know, caused us the most damage in Kane and Son when we went down there. And they were still riding that crest of the wave when Mourinho come in, even though it was a tough afternoon for us. you got to fancy us at, at the turf. And yeah, we've, we've got some decent games coming up. 
City away, you just don't know. Normally we get battered there, but it could be a different City team with with what's happened in the league and um, you know with the Champions League games coming up. So, yeah, well, I don't know where 50 points will, will get us to by the end of the season. I don't know how many points we got the season we come seventh, to be honest with you, uh, without looking it up. I'm sure uh, Statman Dave would know about that. Uh, but I'm pretty confident that, you know, I said it on the last podcast after we drew against Arsenal, we can really start to look up now and even if we don't get to Europe, I think getting a top half finish would be absolutely fantastic. I said at the start of the season before a ball was kicked, we'd come between ninth and 13th. And I still, you know, we could come eighth, which would be great. But I think, yeah, I'd like us to say, I'm going to say we're going to come top half, just hopefully. I'm just not sure where. Yeah, I think that's probably right, actually. I think. <sighs> I just I've always said I wanted us to get to fifty points, but I want us to get there season after season and not necessarily have a spike one season and then fall off the season before. Um, it was fifty four points that got us um, seventh in that season, but that was a season where thirty six points um, got your survival. So when we finished in Europe, it was fifty four. I think it's probably going to be more than that this year because. Um, as we've said before, a lot of this, a lot of the points from the top six have been cascading down the leagues, and there's been a lot more points up for grabs, which is why you're going to need, I think, north of forty to survive. Um, the fact that Swansea went down that season on thirty three just goes to show that you know a lot of the points were up top. So I think you probably need. Oh no, it's going to be the other way around, isn't it? So if, no, it probably, yeah, no, you might be right. Actually, fifty might do it. Um, if you're going to look at going down to eighth, just forty nine points got eighth in that season. So. I'm not sure which way that maths would work around. I think I've got that the wrong way around, but let's not dwell on that. I will ask Statman Dave for the preview show at the weekend. Um, so I guess... I don't... I think all you've said about Europe is is right, and I think where we finish in the league is right. I think where I would finish on this now is just to to say... No matter what happens, whether or not the dream of a Champions League carries on for a few more games or whether or not there is a realistic chance for us to finish eighth and get into Europe again, the main thing that I want to see is for us to maintain competitiveness. And I understand how hard we work these players because it's a small squad, etc., etc. But if we can finish in a uh, competitively, that then breeds a will to win. They'll carry that on to next season. The lads that will go to the Euros in the summer, well, the lad, <laughs> Nick Pope, you know, he'll have that. And then the, the, the other lads who, who've got um, their own clubs that they go to in the summer, the international players, you know, they keep that winning mentality going. And that will attract players in the summer. So I think for me, I just don't want to see us peter out to nothingness at the end of the season. Let's keep that focus. Let's keep that drive. And then let's just have a really good start to next season. I think that's where I want to go. Um, I want to just finish off then very briefly before we finish with just a bit of news off the felt. Um, Tom, um, Ben Gibson, <laughs> bit of a weird one. He's left and gone to, well, he's not left, but he's gone to start training at Middlesbrough. I'm not really sure where to start on picking that one. Can you can you lead us on the, the odd Ben Gibson situation, please? <laughs> I think uh, what's happened at the weekend has really brought into very stark focus I think there were a few uh, comments from Dyche that were quite pointed about players working hard keeping themselves right waiting for their chance and taking it when it comes along um, and obviously not something that Gibson's prepared to do 
Now, I can understand his frustration um, to start with. You know, he's, we paid a lot of money for him. He must have expected with the amount of money we were signing him for that he was going to get a lot more game time than he has gotten. I think it must have been really frustrating for him that the first half of last season when Ben Mee wasn't in the best form, when the team wasn't playing very well, that he had the injuries. I think he had a hernia, so he, he wasn't uh, available for selection at that time. And obviously, me and Tarkovsky have since turned the form round. I think that's the the point, really. I mean, me and Tarkovsky, they're both playing really well. They're both very consistent. I think they very rarely get injured. They never get suspended. And, you know, I I would say if you're Ben Gibson, you've just got to hold your hand up and say, well, I've got two really good players in front of me. The team's doing well. And all I can really do is is keep working hard and and it should either of them get injured or should either of them get a suspension. I've got to be ready and take my chance. You know, that's what Vidra's done. You know, it'd be very easy for Vidra to have had a similar attitude. He hasn't had many chances. Um, and I think it's probably fair to say, similar to Gibson, that in the last few times Vidra has had a chance, he's not really taken it. He hasn't impressed that much. Um, I've certainly never been very impressed with what I've seen from Gibson when he's played, obviously with the caveat that he's, he's not had a run. Um, but, you know, I think to do what he's done, uh, you know, and effectively he's burned all his bridges, is is very kind of uh, very short-sighted because we could have a situation next week where Ben Mee might get an injury that rules him out for the rest of the season. And if you're Gibson at that point, you're walking straight into the team. You've got 10, 15 Premier League games to show what you can do. Um, and he's just cost himself any chance of that, you know, of that happening. And it, it might also come back to bite the squad. You know, if Tarkovsky or me do get injured and we're playing long, you know, there for the, for the rest of the season, he's probably not as strong a, a, of an option. And maybe had Gibson got 10 games under his belt, he'd, he'd play himself into it in an option like that. We've seen a few players we've signed who haven't gone straight into the team. Taylor, Tarkovsky, Pope, they were all sat on the bench for a year when they came in. And now they're all Premier League regulars and they're all knocking on the England squad. Um, so, yeah, obviously he's got frustrated. Obviously something's happened behind the scenes. There's a lot of talk about Watford putting in bids that never materialised. Mm. Um, and obviously, some you know, some, there's obviously been some sort of confrontation, which is why what's happened has happened. But to me, it's it's really, really disappointing to see. And I think if that's his reaction, if that's his attitude, then we're probably better off without him. And I think Dice will very much be of the same mindset. Yeah. Final word for you then, Richard. Is there any is there any way back for him, or do you think it's inevitable now that he just goes in the summer? I heard he wore the Middlesbrough pyjamas to bed as well because he never seemed to stop going on about him on social media. Did he hear anything? <laughs> um, no, I don't think there's any way back um, from, a serious, from a more serious point of view. I think, you know, you do understand his frustration that he's not played, but like I said, he's been injured a lot. When he has played, he's not been particularly great. Um, so I don't get... Obviously, he must have done something really bad for Dice just to banish him and go to Middlesbrough when we've only got Longers back up. Um, I can on it. We 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 seem to be taking an interest in uh, Dale Fry, another centre half for Middlesbrough. I don't know much about him. I can see us signing him and Gibson staying there. To be honest with you, and then we all move on. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just a it's just a strange, strange situation. And as fate has it, Vidra comes on when he when he looks like he's not going to play against and scores a great winner. And now he's probably going to get a run of games in the team and could have an extended. No career at Burnley, so football's a funny game. But yeah, um, yeah, just let him go back to Middlesbrough and just have the love in there because uh, that's what he seems like he wants to be to me. 
I think that might be my favourite comment. It's certainly in my top five comments of the none and ever history. Ben Gibson wears Middlesbrough pyjamas in bed. I think that's just, that's going to chuckle me for the rest of the night. And I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave the podcast on that point. So that's a nice thought for you all listeners. Uh, ben Gibson's Middlesbrough pyjamas. Um, that's all we've got time for. It has been a jam-packed episode and lots to talk about. But let's just concentrate on an absolutely fantastic three points away at Southampton. Matty Vidra's wonder strike, a feel-good factor around the club, Champions League push, why the hell not? Um, my thanks as ever go to both Richard and Tom for giving up the time this evening and giving us such insightful feedback on everything that's been going on. Thank you both. Um, to producer Matt, who knits all of this together and puts out the final version. Um, thanks, Matt. Oh, and also thank you, Matt, for stepping in on the preview show last week as well while I was... Um, also taking a midwinter break um thanks to band joyce who provide our music for the podcast but as ever my final thanks go to you the listener for downloading and listening um your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you i've been natalie bromley this has been the none and ever podcast until next time Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the Pro Pilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.